0: Hello, Racer Nation, and welcome to episode 37 of the Racer Nation podcast. We hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving we were able to spend some quality time with friends and family to kick off the holiday season. Last week, we had an awesome night sitting down and talking with Racer Athletics Director Nico Yanko to discuss the future of Racer Athletics. We can't thank him enough for his time, and we hope you all really enjoy getting to hear his story. This week, we're back to business, and we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't get everyone in Racer Nation fired up for the start of our new journey as members of the Missouri Valley Conference. The new journey begins with a great opportunity with two major matchups that will set the pace for we know will be a tremendous race to arch madness. This week should be a springboard to launch our season on an upward trajectory and it starts right now. This is Race Nation. Welcome to the bank.
1: Racer fans, here we are, episode 37 of the Racer Nation podcast, and it's time to play some Missouri Valley Conference basketball, and and we're gonna get to that. But we're glad everybody came back from episode 37 for episode 37. Hopefully, everyone's got full stomachs, and we're all still recovering from Thanksgiving. We're back to doing it the old fashioned way with Skype, the way we started this podcast. We really enjoyed that in-person interview last week with Nico and Kent, like Sawyer said in the intro, can't thank him enough for his time. Um guys, let's just get a quick before we before we uh move on into the basketball. Um, quick reactions from you guys of what you thought of the Nico interview, him as a person and the outlook that Murray State Athletics has going forward with Nico at the helm. Uh, Logan, we know you had a lot of fun last week. You kick us off.
2: Yeah, that was actually my first time meeting Nico. Uh, You guys had spent some time with him previously, Austin, at the SLU game. And Sawyer, you had met him, I believe, at his introductory press conference. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, I was kind of the wild card, as I usually am. And so I didn't really know what to expect. And uh, so we got to the keg to eat dinner, as the Racer Nation podcast usually does. And Nico was late, but he came in, and it was kind of like we had – been talking to him for weeks. Um, he fit right in and just so easy to talk to and very open. Um, one thing that I want to share about this uh, episode we did with him is how awesome the response has been from the fans. A lot of great uh, feedback from that. And, and, you know, he was very generous with his time. And one thing that was very apparent to me is that he values the, the, the opinions of racer fans and he has their best interest in mind. And you know, that's pretty self-explanatory when he was talking to us three goobers.
0: Great points. I, I agree a hundred percent. It was just so much fun and talking to him was so natural and his passion just kind of rolls off when you talk to him. I think that uh, he's kind of the man that the racer athletics, I think is needed for a really long time and we won't really, it's hard to really see it until you've actually got what you have got. Um, but just the shared vision, I think that both he and Dr. J have, Dr. Jackson have, is such going to be such a great thing for the future. That uh, there's strength and unity, and when you've got two guys that are unified like that, the future is definitely going to be bright. But um, he had a lot of great things to say. I hope that uh, the racer fans were able to to really enjoy getting to hear you know his story too. You know he he loves being a Murray guy just like we are, which is which is so much fun. So I'm um, excited that we got to sit down with him, and I think we'll be able to do that uh, a couple more times in the future.
1: And I do want to point out, Logan, you mentioned how generous he was with his time. We actually kept him till like after 10 o'clock on Monday night. So hopefully we're still in good graces with his wife and we didn't get him in too much trouble. But um, yeah, more than appreciate his time. And like you said, I was getting text messages all day um, on Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever day we I think. Yeah, Wednesday when we released it, of uh, just saying like seems like a guy you could just meet at um, at a restaurant. And like you said, sit down and like you've been friends for 30 years and uh just have a conversation so i think that's why he connects so well um, with the folks he's already met and the folks he's going to meet um so forth and so on so because of that episode last week um, it was a little off kilter we didn't really get to talk much about the myrtle beach invitational and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because that's old news but i do think it's uh worth at least getting our reactions maybe quick uh, summarizing, we had the big win against Texas A&M. Of course, they were top 25 at the time. Um, kind of dropped off now, 88-79, and that's kind of what we've been see what we wanted to see out of this racer team. Um, then we we took to UMass the next day, uh, lost a heartbreaker, 69-71, but bounced back on Sunday of the tournament, um, 77-60 against Tulsa. Tulsa is going to come up a little bit later in this conversation as well in the podcast, but. Um, Sawyer, we got to see the racers play on ESPN three times in a four-day period, which, like we talked with Nico last week, the exposure you get right there is priceless. Uh, However much it costs to go to South Carolina, that's returned multiple-fold over and over again. But um, up and down, uh, to me, it was kind of the summarization of this non-conference season so far is the highest of highs, but also the lowest of lows in that UMass game with the buzzer beaters. So, um what were just your quick thoughts on the Myrtle Beach as a whole?
0: Yeah, it was tremendous exposure. And for that 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 one afternoon when we beat Texas A&M, we were all over ESPN and social media and everything. We were the story, which was so much fun. And hope you guys got to tune into the Twitter space we had. I think it's is it still up or is it is it off now?
1: Um Yeah, no, it should still be up. Let me double check while you're talking.
0: Sure, sure. So if you didn't get a chance to check out that, feel free to hit us up on Twitter and, and find that and go back and listen to it. We had a lot of fun. And we had a great time engaging with a lot of our uh, the fellow listeners and fellow fans, and uh, that was a lot of fun as well. I think we should probably touch on that at some point too because we had a lot of engagement and it was a lot of fun. But ultimately, the thing that I drew away from it was we know what this team can look like when they're playing real racer basketball. And We hadn't seen it to that point just yet, especially against quality competition, um, which is going to be a phrase I use quite a bit throughout this this conversation this evening. But um, you know, we played some really solid teams. Um, I think that there's a good chance that – Texas A&M will bounce back, and then UMass might be a real contender in the A-10. Uh, those are two two teams that can um, can really do some damage uh, once once the regular season gets started. So uh, I think those are two, two quality opponents that we showed uh, we can play really well with. And uh, just seeing that we can score and we can have production from a lot of different angles. Rob Perry, to me, didn't have the greatest tournament. Uh, he didn't really showcase what he could do, yet we found a way to win every single time, and we did so in a lot of different ways, which I thought was was awesome. Logan, what do you think? And before Logan, that Twitter space is still up. Anytime I swing it to Logan, Austin always has got to pick <laughs> it back up every time. <laughs> so
2: Mr. Foster, take it. Take it's all care. good. Uh yeah, what I've got to say is not that important, anyways. Uh as I mentioned on the space, if I'm being completely honest, going into the tournament, I was hoping to win one game. And so uh being one shot from the championship game where I like to think we could have pulled that one out on Sunday, uh, really, really happy with our performance and even more so than the start of the tournament, which was great and got all the, the hype. Um, I was more encouraged by how we finished to be quite honest, um, I had a wedding the day before, and let me tell you, I let it rip that night. I woke up the next morning, and I did not—I didn't even want to watch the game. So I can't imagine getting these twenty-year-old kids out of bed and telling them you got to play at nine thirty Central Time. Uh, be ready. And I'd like to thank Coach Prome and probably DJ Burns had something to do with our energy levels being so high that morning, but really just came out and punched Tulsa in the mouth. Um. Beat them for just about 40 minutes and looked really good doing it. So really encouraged with you know how we started, but even more so with how we finished.
1: I think for me, what the growth we saw between St. Louis and that first game of the tournament is our defense, and that you know as we talk about the Chattanooga game, that's something that's kind of upheld. I know we gave up 79 to A and M, but I would say the last five minutes was a flurry of points on their end where we didn't play really great defense. So but we played pretty decent for 35 minutes of that game um, on the defensive side. And then the defensive effort against UMass almost held them under 70 and then hold Tulsa to 60. And and so uh, to me, that's where we really saw the growth on the defensive side. And, and that's one thing we always say, right? Defense travels, um, even when the offense is struggling. So, uh, that's all I really had to say about it. I, like you guys said, we had the Twitter space where we really dope. I guess mostly into the Texas A&M game, but um, we thought last week was more important getting with with Nico and, and really made that the focus of the episode. So know you guys understand that, and um, we'll put that Myrtle Beach Invitational to bed. Uh, we know that next year we're gonna keep doing these MTEs. I believe Kenny said that the Missouri Valley. Um, requires that that you play in an mte every year Um, so hopefully that we keep getting good ones i know sorry i uh, talked about it last week while we were you know in person a little bit is wherever they're going next year we're going to do our darndest to make it there so hopefully it's somewhere good Uh, like we talked with nico maybe maybe we're playing in maui next year and he can pay for the podcast to go so um you know who knows we don't want to put the cart before the horse but um, anyways, uh, let's 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 go ahead and wrap that up. Really good, successful trip, Logan. Like you said, um, we were hoping to win one game. We come out of there two and one, really close to probably being three and zero. Oh. From there, the guys had the week of Thanksgiving off, and then come back Saturday night to head down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and play UT Chattanooga, and that's the return game from last year. Everybody remembers what a barn burner that was when Chattanooga came to. The CFSB, CFSB Center, um, what a uh, battle between Tevin Brown and Malachi Smith. Both of them put up over 30 in that game. And you're thinking, man, we're going to have another barn burner this year. And, well, the racers really did get hurt in the first half by another guy who was on track to put up 30. He didn't end up doing it. But Jake Stevens puts up 20 of their first 30 points in that first half. But the Racers ultimately fall 69 to 66, um, like we said, at Chattanooga. Uh, Just a really tough game. The three of us got to watch it together, which uh, typically that means a win for the Racers. But uh, Sawyer, the the inexperience, maybe the tough shots. um, It really, that last six minutes, to me, almost the whole game, Really mirrored that Massachusetts loss, but um, just some tough shots towards the end. But again, really liked how the guys battled and, you know, really a lot of the stuff that maybe we expected to see out of the racers early this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. You hit on a lot of great points. And I think the conversation right here goes back to right after we finished the Tulsa game. And we were kind of talking about, you know, what are our next steps from here? And I I mentioned to you guys uh, in our text group that I was like, I want to see. This racer team absolutely jump all over UT Chattanooga when we play them um, this past Saturday night. And you know, my mindset going to the game was we're, we're just a way better team. We've got way more talent. Come out, play 10 minutes of racer basketball, open the night up, and we can really have an opportunity to, to put it on cruise control and get some of our young guys a chance to play and really build some very important momentum as we start conference play this week. Um, and we just didn't do that. It seemed like the energy was just a little bit off. Um, and like you said, the story was much like the story from the St. Louis game of just way too much one-on-one basketball, and especially on a night where we didn't really have it from the outside, not until uh, Rob Perry started knocking down shots um, with two or three minutes to go, and outside of a few mid-range jump shots from from Jamari in the first half, um, but. Eight assists to go on 26 made baskets and only six from 26 from three is not the recipe to beat anybody in the Missouri Valley Conference. I think this team knows that. We're going to have nights where we're going to be cold from the floor, uh, but I think that it was way too much like the slew game where we're play, trying to play individually, not getting downhill enough, trying to get to the free throw line uh, and try to try to uh, finish the game in a different way. Uh, I know that, that old adage um, is the Bobby Knight philosophy is to shoot more free throws than your opponent attempts. And they flipped a switch on us in that department, um, which was tough to see. And that's another reason why um, I feel like we gave the game away. And also, you know, like I know that we're probably touching this quite a bit, but we didn't really have any stretch throughout the night where we played true racer basketball. I know you and uh, Austin, you, Logan, and I were together watching and we're like, where, where are we going to go on our run? When are we going to go on our run? And they would get up by seven or eight and then we, they just we get up by seven or eight and they would come right back. Uh, within like two or three possessions each time. Um, and so we truly never saw that. And then another point that I thought was, was really, really bad was when we had four fast break points. I can't remember a night where we had that few fast break points, and that just means we're not playing in transition and we're not playing racer basketball. So all of that combined, I think we just need to throw this out the window, learn a lot from it, but I truly don't think this is the racer team that we're going to see, especially this week.
1: You brought up a lot of good points around fast break, and to me there were just so many statistical anomalies with this game. Um, like you saw, you talked, you're not having another baby. We already confirmed that, but you had the baby stat a lot last year, and we, we really dominated that, 28 to 14. Um, but then you look, they make almost as many three point, or well, they do make more three pointers than they do uh, two point field goals, and and just things like that was was so weird to me. Um, but like you said, the 14 from 17 from the free throw line really killed us. We, we just did attack the basket and, and Logan, we see the racers in the last two losses start to settle for threes. Like you said, Sawyer play that one-on-one basketball and, and what's it going to take going forward, especially in the Missouri Valley, um, uh, to not just settle for the shot, especially early in the shot clock, but to really run the offense, get in the lane these officials want to call fouls, like that's literally all they do. You see that in a lot of games. They sit down there on the block, and anytime somebody gets close to the basket, it's a foul. How how do you see the Racers' offense going forward, being able to do that?
2: Yeah, it, it's tough because it the Slu game and uh, the UT Chattanooga game. It seemed like once we weren't hitting shots, we really just didn't know what to do. And there wasn't a whole lot of penetration. I know we tweeted out that we had eight assists. Um, it was kind of strange. Like we were just waiting all all game to kind of get hot. And we were relying on that. I remember Brian Moore got into the paint. He's, we're so much more talented than Chattanooga. I feel confident mm-hmm. saying that. He's faster than uh, Little Brody or whatever his name was. But gets right into the middle of the lane and kicks it out to the corner wide open 3 and we hit it and and we just kind of play one on one basketball again um going back to Sawyer's point it was a game that i never really thought we would lose um going into it i thought even though the line was close um just looking at the the talent differential i think i think we were just supposed to win that game and as Murray state fans, we believe we're supposed to win that game. Um, and one thing that I wanted to bring up is we're not in the OVC anymore. The last time we had a really, really good team, we won 25 straight games and still didn't make the tournament. I guess you have to win 26. Um, and we were about in the same spot that we're in now. Um, in that season, I think we were four and four in December and then went on a stretch of 25 straight games. But, um, We're in a multi-bid league, and with that comes winning basketball games. Uh, You don't have to win your conference, but you have to win games against UT Chattanooga.
1: I think you're spot on there, Logan. Because I mean, even Chattanooga's not a terrible team by any means. I think they're around uh, 160-ish, somewhere around there in the Ken Palm. So it's not like you're taking a sub 300 loss or anything. But like you said, if if we do go on a run and get beat by Drake in the NBC championship game, this is the game they're looking back on and flashing Mm -hmm. in the blind resume as a bad loss.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Jake Stevens is really good. Don't get it twisted. Um, They had that wing that got hot at the end of the game. But I was thinking earlier, if any of our starting five wanted to transfer to Chattanooga, they would – I don't think any of them would have problems being a starter on that team. Uh, we just – you know, wasn't our night.
1: Yeah, and, and even you talk about the guy, Jamal Johnson, gets hot there at the end. He was uh, o for 7 before that or o for 6 and then proceeds to – it's just the timely shots, right? And um, like we said – or like I was saying, the Racers continued playing pretty good defense. I mean, anytime you can hold an opponent under 70 – you think you feel pretty good about winning, I, I think. It, but maybe this year is going to be a little bit different where you have to really have that amazing defensive effort. Um, Sawyer, one thing that I think we discussed a little bit and you see a little bit on the Internet and things like that is is the bench's role and what is going to be this team going forward. Uh, you have Brian Moore plays 14 minutes off the bench, uh, but not a lot in that second half. Quincy gets three minutes. And then Justin gets three minutes at the end just from probably DJ being hurt. Justin's probably not on the floor if DJ doesn't uh, turn his ankle there at the end. But um, what what do you see, I guess, going forward, especially in conference, is, is this sustainable? I mean, is it the reason we're giving up the leads in these last two losses towards the end is we're getting tired? If you ask anybody on the team, they're not going to say that, but – when it comes to fatigue, it's easier to take a three-pointer early in the shot clock than it is, you know, going to the basket and really working hard. But I guess both of you guys, but Sawyer, you go ahead and go first. Y'all's takes on, you know, the compressed bench, I guess.
0: I, I can see where you're coming from, from those concerns. But that as far as the conditioning, that should never be an issue ever. I mean, we've had Tevin play 40 minutes every night. Uh, a lot of our guys did last year, and we've had that for years. Now, that should not be the issue um, I don't think that's essentially the case at all. I just think there was something, like Logan said, there was something just off on, on Saturday night. And I think, it, and I had two I had two people text me probably midway point of the first half, and were just like, "Are we? Is my is my TV just slow? Or are we just playing in slow motion?" And I was like, "I totally see it too." Um, so I'm hoping it's just that Chattanooga high altitude, maybe it had something to do with it. Who knows? Um, but I hope that's just the case because I really don't see a whole lot changing. I do. Uh, we were all talking together. We would love to see Quincy's minutes uh, get raised. And I don't know if they thought that they were good. They were just had a, a, an athletic advantage um, over UT Chattanooga based on some of the comments slogan made earlier. Um, and I agree with them in that capacity. So why not try to roll with some of your really athletic guys? Um, but then it's also about the matchups too. And I felt like the, the Quincy might've been a guy who could really capitalize on some of those smaller lineups that you teach had a new good three out there. So to answer your question at this point, I still really don't know. Maybe it's the fact they want to uh, build confidence in some of these guys and get them as many minutes as possible to get them playing and getting back in the flow. I mean, they did just go, you know, a week without playing. So I don't know if that was the case or not, but um, I guess those are, those are my thoughts, Logan.
2: Yeah. I'll, I think I mentioned this when we were together Saturday night, but, I kind of expected Sam Murray to play, especially with our bigs being in a little bit of foul trouble and especially when DJ got hurt. But, um, you know, Sam's just, he's a freshman, he's young. And I think that would have probably been a bad matchup with Jake just because of how big and physical he is. Um, As for Justin, really happy with how he played. He was playing post-defense against Jake Stevens, a true seven-footer, and didn't give up any ground And then ends up getting a steal and throwing the ball off his foot, uh, off the offensive player's foot, and getting a big stop for us. So um, glad that he came in the game. Our guy showed up when his number was called. Got to love that. Um, Before the MTE, I was saying that I thought we would see more of our bench um, play in that tournament, and we just didn't. you know, we're fans, we're not coaches, we're not, we're not involved with the program. So uh, they're a lot smarter than us and they get paid a lot more than, than we do doing this podcast. So we got to trust that they're making the right decisions.
1: Yeah, we definitely don't get paid anything for doing this uh, at all. It's just going to be really hard for us to win on nights when we shoot 23% from three with how many we take. We take 26, um, over a third of our shots coming from three range and only hitting 23% of them. Um, even when you only give up you know thirty five percent on the floor on the other end, you know you outshoot your opponent, uh but taking that many at that lower percentage while only taking eleven free throws as well makes it just and really tough think, to win,
2: yeah, Austin. I don't think that was any of Chattanooga's doing. I don't think no. they were pressuring us too much or um I didn't think their three point defense was all that great. uh, we just were missing open shots.
1: Yeah, even that one there at the very end, Logan. That I mean, Kenny White got a great. I don't. I don't think if you're a coach in that situation, you could not draw up a better look to tie the game uh, at, at the last second. Uh, you got a wide open shot for three, essentially, and just one of those things where it didn't go down, and uh, that's kind of part of the unluckiness. I told you, I pulled. I was pulling up the Ken Palm earlier to try to get some of these numbers for. Illinois state and Valparaiso coming up and noticed uh, we are the 297th out of 363 unluckiest team in college basketball right now. Um, Take that for what you will. I think you make some of your own luck as well. I'm a big proponent in that, you know, you got to put yourself in those situations, but um, you know, between the buzzer beater three, a couple shots, not falling. um, And I think that's one takeaway from this. And I don't know how much, how much more you guys have but a couple things I wanted to uh, point to you know we are two possessions right now away from being five and one Uh, we're a buzzer beater three-pointer and then you know a possession in this last game hey we there's no way we're winning that slew game let's be honest Um, but these other two games are winnable basketball games Um, so two possessions away from being five and one I think we've got to be very thankful for that And I don't know about you guys, but if you told me a month ago um, we would be three and three going into the early conference season, I think I would probably take that or would have
0: taken that. Those are tremendous points, Austin. I think that that's a constant reminder of how that the margin of error for college basketball, if you want to be extremely successful, is that small. And that's just one of those things that this team has got to have to to grasp. And it's another piece of the of the the mountain that they're trying to climb. Is trying to understand some of that and get back to playing together every night in and night out. And and for us to expect that early on, I think that was. Uh, I don't think they really expected that for us to happen. And and but when you put it into that context, it really shows you what could have been. Um, I think that. Like you said, if anyone were to say that, we all would have taken it. Um, But I think that in the future, that's the reality. Uh, We've got to go through some of these bumps and bruises. And we talked about that a few episodes ago. We know we're going to go through them. It's just a tough pill to swallow when we're actually there. Um, But now that we've we've kind of taken our medicine a little bit, I'm hoping that when we do these previews for the next two teams, we can really showcase why we can build off of this one uh, to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, And I know we'll be kicking ourselves because of, because of some of that. And, and I know that unluckiness um, stat and I, I really enjoy looking at it because it can, it can really be a separator. Like you said, Logan and a team that can make it to the NCAA tournament and one that just gets left off and is having to settle for the NIT. A very similar stat was that, that uh, Texas A&M, when I talked about them the two weeks ago was they were one of the unluckiest teams last year and they were the first team off the bus. Um, so all those points are very valid, but I hope we just use that to to spark our fire. Hopefully can burn a little brighter to get us to where we want to go. Because like I said in the intro, you know, it starts right now.
2: Yeah, I was trying to think of the takeaways that we can uh, take with us from this game. What can we learn? And when I think about the Missouri Valley Conference and the big guys, that the noticeable difference between the OVC and the MVC, in the OVC, you've got guys that are 6'8", um, have decent Division one basketball bodies, but have no fundamentals and can hardly tie their shoes. In the Missouri Valley, you've got, for lack of a better term, just big whiteies that are 6'10", and not super athletic, but very fundamental and uh Stocky guys, I, I think a lot of that, Loudon Love that played for um, Wright State. Um, shoot, who was the guy from uh, Loyola, Chicago? Oh, gosh, what was his name?
0: With a little mustache? Yes. It was like a short first name and a long last name. I don't think it was like Ben something, was it, or Jake something? I um, can't remember. Boston's got us.
2: Cameron Crutwig, not him. Yeah. No. Cameron Crutwig, yes. Yeah. Yes, so not very athletic, but very fundamental and know how to play the game of basketball. Yep, that's him. <laughs> yep. So I don't think the average big in the Missouri Valley is going to be able to shoot like Jake Stevens. I thought he was very good and one of the best bigs we'll see um, in this non-conference schedule. Um, but. We're going to have to play against big guys like that, 6'10", big bodies, and learn how to play without fouling. And uh, if we're going to play with a short bench, um, just be smart out there and, and learn how to play defense um, and on the offensive end, put them in bad positions to try and get them off the floor. So hopefully our big guys can take away you know, how to control those beasts down low because we got a full season of it.
0: And is that something you guys want to see, Logan, to your point, like from Jamari and DJ, is that Jamari is so skilled, and he plays with, he plays, he has such a great mid-range jumper, and when you have that, yeah, it's really tough to defend, and I love that he's knocking them down, but there's not going to be a lot of potentials for drawing any fouls. You know, he's never taking the ball to the basket, he's kind of fading away, and, and that's, that's fine, but I wish maybe, you think that maybe that needs to be a piece of his game and DJ's game, because even DJ has knocked down a couple of mid-range jumpers, but trying to get back inside and and trying to 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 capitalize on on both being able to score from both areas, um, moving forward, what do you guys think about that?
2: Yeah, I think Jamari is a good enough free throw shooter to where uh, he has to get in the get in the paint and try and get those guys into foul trouble. We saw DJ do it Saturday night. He uh, drove in, jump stop, pump fake, and got Jake Stevens in the air and drew a foul. I don't think he made. Both free throws, but did he? That was an and one. That was an and one, I think. DJ was
1: one bro. for one from the free throw line.
2: Great call. I'm wrong on that. He's been hot on free throws this year. I got to yeah. give him his and props. That's right. To your,
1: to your yeah, to your guys's point, uh, you know, DJ and Jamari are second and third in the team in free throws attempted. Uh, Jacoby leads the team with 30. DJ is 19 for 27 from 70 percent. About a twenty percent uptick from last year. I you know, know Jamari, Jay knows that. Oh yeah, uh, Jamari has some work to do. Um, he's ten for twenty-one for forty-seven percent. Uh, but with his mid-range game, it's just yeah. a matter of time before he finds that fifteen-foot, you know, free throw
2: range. Yeah, he. I, I would like to think if he hits fadeaway jumpers from fifteen feet and those elbow jumpers, I think he hit us. He had uh, the the small kid on him the other night, and he kind of did like a step back just so he could shoot his mid range jumper. And of course, it was funny. So if he's got guys guarding him at fifteen feet and he can hit shots, I'd like to think that somebody that's got as good of a shooting stroke as he does could, you know, improve that free throw percentage.
0: Still, definitely wouldn't recommend um the 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 style that the guy had from Chattanooga where he was shooting them from two steps behind the free throw line Logan you pointed that out and I could not get that out of my head that's the for those who know that's the Robert Spalding shooting method um but I definitely still wouldn't recommend that for for Jamari would you
2: I don't know if that guy thought he was going to get an extra point if he stood that far back (laughs) but uh that was that was a little concerning as uh you know, son, you can you can take a full step in and shoot the shoot the same shot. It counts the same. But yeah, I'd let Jamari just do his thing. I think regression's gonna set in. He's gonna get back to like a mid sixties, seventy percent free throw shooter soon.
1: Yeah, there's there's no way he doesn't let that number doesn't come up and, and hopefully once he kinda gets more comfortable he will see the foul line some more. But I, I see no way that DJ and um Jamari doesn't stay top three on the team in free throw shooting.
0: And one more thing I think we need to talk about, too, is we know Jamari's been banged up a little bit. So to his credit, maybe that's the reason why he's not going inside as much. We know he's dealing with a little, you know, upper body um, bruising type thing up top. So uh, that could be the case. So we're not trying to throw anybody under the bus. We're just trying to strategize new ways to help racers win ball games. So I uh, <laughs> want to make sure we clear that up, too.
1: That's a good point, Sawyer, there. but. You know, I, I guess maybe it's just the Chattanooga bug because one thing that I think we always pride ourselves in, and um, I think back to the Cronin, the Billy Kennedy days, even Prome 1.0, if that's what we're calling his first in here, is you they would take the best player on the opposite team and just absolutely shut them down. You know, it didn't matter who it was, and I even think back to um, we're going to talk about it. At Illinois State, but Antonio Reeves last year, he he did not have a great game against us. Um, but then you got a guy like Jake Stevens. Just listen to this stat line, guys, and tell me if this isn't Logan at PTL on Monday nights. 27 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, 1 block, 0 turnovers, and 1 personal foul. Um, just tell me that's not what Logan puts up.
0: That's pretty good, but it's not as good as Logan puts up at PTL. So, uh, but yeah, great. And even another stat that I, I don't know if you said or not was 506 from the free throw line. How crucial were those free throws down the stretch? What did he hit four of them at the most critical yeah. time of the game? Um, so it wasn't just that he had it all together throughout the game, but man, he he iced it away at the very end. So that's just showing a veteran guy, guy who was uh, was he preseason conference player of the year. Um, yeah. And so that's it just shows you you know what what a, what a guy like that can do and, and you know we're looking at our roster too and we look around and, and and Jamari and Rob had great games but I think and DJ had a pretty pretty good game too but you look at that that's we're still looking for that alpha to kind of take over and I think that Rob kind of showcased that at the very end of the game but we we need to have somebody that can have a Jake Stevens type performance any night um and hopefully we can get that established sooner rather than later
1: yeah i do think we have those guys
0: on our team it's just uh, – and
1: I think that's the dangerous part. I mean, Rob has 22 Saturday night. We've seen Jamari go for uh, – I think – I can't remember if he's had 20 this year or not. Jacoby obviously does it multiple times. Kenny is a guy who can have 20 to 25 any given night. So you see that potential. It's just putting that together. But I guess where, the point I was going at with Jake Stevens is like – and we talked about it at the Texas A&M game, and we're like, who – Do we have killers on this team? In that last five to ten minutes of that game, we had the killers that put it away. When they came back and cut it to one, we pushed it right back out to ten. So who's the guy on the team that goes out there and says, you know what? It is my job and my job only to make sure Jake Stevens doesn't have 27. It's my job to make sure Kendall Lewis Thursday night doesn't go have a career night. You know, something like that. So um, I think that's what we have to develop, and not that those guys aren't there. We just have to recognize that. And Jake Stevens was hitting some great shots, and he's a great player, like you said, Logan. Uh, preseason or Sawyer preseason player of the year in the Southern Conference, which you got to be pretty dang good in the Southern Conference. So hopefully, uh, Chattanooga can go and win a bunch of games this year and and make this look a little better. But I um, I think they've got some talent, and they they've got the guard play when they're shooting the three to do it um let's just hope like we said we learn a lot from this road loss so as we transition from the road game um you know we played six games this year uh, three and three and one of the joys of joining the missouri valley conference is that 20 game conference schedule which means we get some missouri valley basketball a lot quicker than we ever got the ohio valley conference basketball and guys um i don't know who paid off the missouri valley conference office It may have been all that time I spent around there last year, um, you know, talking to the folks as they walked to their car after work. But the gift we got opening up our Missouri Valley conference play with Illinois state and Valparaiso cannot be understated. Sawyer. I know you mentioned when we were talking there, two of the bottom three teams in the Missouri Valley. Now that does not mean we have to, we can overlook them. That does not mean that because this is the Missouri Valley, but we could have opened up with Drake, so um, I think we did a okay. But before we get into Illinois State on Thursday night, let's just—I want to talk and throw it around a little bit about the 20-game conference schedule, what that does for us as a whole. Not so much this year, but going forward with strength of schedules, taking off some of those, you know, maybe NAI games or Division three games that we see on our schedule every once in a while.
2: Yeah, and I've actually wanted to touch on this for a while. A lot of people were upset with our non-conference schedule. And uh, I mean, I guess they have a point. Um, Didn't really play anybody at home or we're not going to. That's uh, considered that good. But you have to look at what we're used to playing, uh, playing Tennessee Martin twice a year, playing Eastern Illinois twice a year. And now those types of teams are, our uh, non-conference home games and so we're we're just moving up in class you sacrifice a few games um hopefully a couple good home games that we've always relied on in the non-conference to get the fan base excited for a great 20 game conference schedule so i'm i'm here for it
0: yeah i love it too from from an increase in 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 quality, important home games, um, there's many nights where the you look around and we still have better attendance in the games we play AI schools than most of the Missouri Valley Conference teams will have when they play the number one team in the league that year, um, which will hopefully be us. Um, but So I like it from that perspective. For me, for the conference schedule, I've been wanting to talk about this a little bit, too. Really makes me feel like I took for granted the OVC scheduling. I, I looking back, I really loved how you could plan a whole week around having a Thursday Saturday home game, and the Missouri Valley schedule is like you just took some pain and threw it on a wall about when when games are and, and versus who and when and. I understand that there's a lot of travel restrictions we have with the new conference, and I think hopefully it'll make for more quality, competitive games because you have time to rest. I get that, but uh, I just felt like for my personal, selfish planning purposes, it made it a whole lot easier in the format that the Ohio Valley Conference had it. And and I do wonder a little bit about the attendance um, for some Sunday afternoon games and some Wednesday night games. Uh, our community, you know, has uh, a lot of people go to church on Wednesday night, so I hope. That, uh, that that everything can be can be sorted out there where um, the games can can be around some of those some of those times but um, as far as the schedule itself, the 20 game schedule, I think that that'll be uh, really important and I think it'll help us of course in building our resume for for the future.
1: you guys both make great points there and I agree with you Sawyer on the schedule it's it's kind of tough you know I know the team plays at Valpo Sunday which we're going to talk about. Um, but then they have to hop on a plane Sunday night, fly back to Murray for finals on Monday. So it just gets all that, you know, which is great. I'm sure they don't want to ride a bus back from Valparaiso, Indiana, but I'm um, just, just adds to it when it's a, a Sunday afternoon game like that. But let's start out Thursday night, 7 PM, the first Missouri Valley conference home game ever in the CFSB center and a familiar foe for the racers over the last few years, the Illinois State Redbirds are coming to town. Uh, not their first time, not the first time we've seen the Redbirds in the arena at the CFSB Center. Uh, they are 2-5 and five this year. So far, not great to start off um, in Ryan Pedon's first season at the helmet uh, uh, for Illinois State. One thing, guys, I wanted to do, um, Logan, maybe you can sell sponsorship on this segment for me, but... Um, I thought it'd be kind of neat since we kind of get a little flavor from, from this podcast compared to maybe some other ones is uh, you know, all these Missouri Valley teams are brand new to all of us. Uh, I know mean, we played them here on, you know, here and there, but uh, you know what? I was going to take every team that we played this year in the Missouri Valley and I'm going to take their Wikipedia bio and just read it. So whatever it says there, I think is what you should know about Illinois State basketball. So here we go. The Illinois State Redbirds men's basketball team represents Illinois State University, located in Normal, Illinois, in a Division I basketball competition. They are currently led by coach uh, Ryan Peadon and play their home games at Doug Collins Court at Redbird Arena as a member of the Missouri Valley Conference. They have the distinction of earning the most national invitational tournament in NIT burst at 14, without ever making the semifinals, and also have the current the longest current NCAA tournament drought of 22 seasons among among Missouri Valley Conference members. So not something to be proud of if you're the Illinois State Redbirds. But against the Racers, they are five and one all time. They're on a four. Racers are on a four game win streak, and that started in that two, a 2016 game where uh, Jonathan Stark hit the three uh, to to beat them there at the buzzer. Uh, granted, that year went downhill from there, uh, but everybody remembers that game. Then lastly, um, talked about Ken Palm a little bit. Racers are actually 114 in the Ken Palm right now, not bad, and that's because our losses have been to some pretty decent teams. Slu, I think, top 40. Uh, like I said, Chattanooga's around 160, and Massachusetts in the 130th. Um, and, and our offensive and defensive fi- efficiency is both top 120. Uh, but but anyways, I don't want to get too deep into that. Um, Illinois State right now 279. So. Like we said, bottom three team in the Valley, you know, a game I think all three of us expect the Racers to come out with a big win.
0: Yeah, Austin, absolutely. And this so far, this team has really struggled, and that's why they're ranked in the high 200s, like you mentioned, almost in the 300s in most of the rating programs. And they're really struggling to score, uh, in all, especially on the offensive end. Um, they're essentially dead last in points in the NCAA, uh, scoring 60 point, 61 points a game. Um, and that's against one of the worst strengths of schedules in all of college basketball. So you pair the fact that they can't score and they're playing really bad competition. Um, there's what do you say, 363 D1 teams. Um, they rank at least in the 320s in all the following stats points per game, field goal percentage, total rebounds, assists, and assist to turnover ratio. However, to Logan's delight, they are in the top 10 in the country in free throw shooting. Um, so. Uh, they got that going for them, and hopefully this game won't be anywhere close to where it's having to come down to free throws.
2: They shoot 81% from the free throw
0: line. It's Um It's honestly really hard to believe.
2: <laughs> Could you imagine if a Murray State racer basketball team shot 81% from the free throw line? Just think I, about that. I cannot.
1: Yeah, I cannot. And they make over 14 a game, too, so I think that's one area we've got to watch.
2: I mean, my pants are getting tighter, and that's not because of Thanksgiving. That would just be incredible if we had a team that could make free throws like that. We would have more 30-win seasons as opposed to just winning seasons.
0: You got that right, and... And maybe that's that's going to be your thing that we can keep bringing up. I know Christmas is coming up, so if we can add that to your Christmas list for the future. Maybe we should start tracking their free throw percentage from now until the end of the season and see where we stand after you make that declaration. That'll be an interesting stat to see. Um, as we move forward with Illinois State, for me, it seems like they're very weak on the interior. They rotate quite a few guys down low, and they really don't have a legitimate showstopper inside. Uh, they have eight players averaging over 16 minutes a game. I, I can't remember a team that I've seen that – is a Missouri Valley Conference level team that's that's had a team that's like that. Um, and Austin, and you mentioned a guy earlier in the season, earlier in the podcast, Kendall Lewis, uh, statistically their best player. Which I want to dive into that in a minute. Um, he's a surprising returner to their roster. He leads the team in returning players uh, in points, rebounds, assists, and blocks. So obviously he's a quality player. He's averaging twelve points and eight rebounds on the season. But I want to throw out something special with this Illinois State team. So their schedule, like I mentioned, is nothing nothing special whatsoever. Uh, I've got it pulled up in front of me. They started the season vers- off versus Western Illinois, Eastern Illinois, so they've covered both both sides of the, the state there. Then they played Northwestern State at home and on the road, so still not very good competition. Then they play their MT. They play LSU, Western Kentucky, and Rhode Island. So out of this season, they've really only played three quality opponents: LSU and Western Kentucky. And really, you shouldn't qualify Rhode Island as is a quality opponent this year. They were one in five, only with with one D one win outside of uh, losing to after they beat before they beat Illinois State. So in those three, qual, I call them quality competition, or you can you can also see it online as quality opponents. When you look at those three games, Kendall Lewis is averaging eight points and three rebounds. Does that get anybody excited? Probably not. Move on. You see Seneca Knight. Uh, He's a guy who's bounced all all over college basketball. He's in his fifth year. Recently transferred from BYU, but he had a bunch of other stops along the way. LSU, San Jose State. And I think he's probably truly their best option for the Cardinals in his last three games versus the true competition. Like I mentioned, he's been their leading scorer. He's averaging 13 and 7 in those contests. He's a bigger body guard, really physical, pretty skilled. He can step out and shoot the three. Um, He's a Rob Perry type of guy. Um, who I think can can cause problems for some some folks, hopefully not us. And the last guy I wanted to mention is Darius Buford. I'm sorry, Burford. Uh, he's a transfer from Elon. He's been their primary scorer in a lot of these games. He scored 16, 16, 17, and 20 in some of those games, in some games so far. But in the other games, he's scored like almost nothing. Um, so it's really, he's been all over the place, not very uh, consistent. He's a smaller guard. Uh, likes he's one of their primary ball handlers and he's kind of a guy they go to for a spark if they need points, but outside of that, they don't really have anybody that averages anything close to close to that. Um, outside of those three guys, uh, the next leader score has like seven points. Um, so they don't score a whole lot of points to begin with. And then you cope that with, with some of the roster pieces, uh, the fact that they're turning the ball over more than they assist on baskets, it's, it's a pretty grim look uh, for Illinois State so far.
1: I think there's a lot of areas, Sawyer, that, that the racers can take advantage. Of. And I, I spoke about how the defenses look so good this year. And like you just mentioned, they're averaging over 15 turnovers a game. Um, so that is the recipe for racer basketball, Logan, like you always talk about, is live ball turnovers, the fast break points and dunks and threes. And uh, I can see a, a turnover, Jacoby. Dishes it to Justin Morgan in the corner, right in front of the student section. Big three. Everybody's in their white t-shirts for the for the first MVC game, and um, I wish I was there. I can't wait to watch it on on uh, the ESPN Plus. But um, Logan, we always know you like to like to give the eye test, and uh, you know they've already played the Racers once this year. Uh, that mm-hmm. being the LSU th- that being the LSU Racers, and so uh, what I mean. KJ went off in that game, obviously. We don't have to talk about just that game, but what, what do you expect to see out of the, the Redbirds?
2: I think the Redbirds struggle Thursday night. I see this as a big get-right spot for the Racers. Uh, everybody was excited, morale was high coming off the MTE, and we just kind of lay a dud on Saturday night. But this is the perfect spot. Uh, you know, everybody's excited. First Missouri Valley Conference game. Um, Students will be excited. I think we have a great crowd Thursday night. And this is truly our team's first home game. Um, We've played NAI and division whatever schools um, at home. And we've actually had pretty decent student participation for those games. So happy with that. But I think with all of the the marketing we've been doing, trying to get people to this game, I think it's going to be a great showing. Um, Just looking at Illinois State, like you guys said, they turned the ball over a lot. They have 69 assists on the year and 104 turnovers. That is really, really bad. Um, I know we haven't been great with assists so far this year, but uh, we at least have a positive ratio when it comes to assist and turnover ratio for the team. Um, another thing that I saw, they actually are better than Murray State statistically. Uh, we give up 13 offensive rebounds a game which I would hope to see us do better in that department, but they give up 11. I think this is a great get right spot for DJ Burns. I think he just owns the glass on the inside. We have another double digit rebound game from him with five or six offensive rebounds. And, um, you know, he's going to be pumped up, especially with all the fans there. Uh, so yeah, all in all, I think this is a huge get right spot for the racers and I'd like to see us win, you know, by 15, 18 points.
0: I love it. I agree with you. I think this is a spot where we can really do that to me. Austin, you teased it earlier in the podcast. I want to bring back the baby stat. So I'm, I'm tearing up just thinking about this because my baby turns one in a little over a week and it really, really hurts, but life goes on. So talking about the racers here, getting back on track. Um, the, The racers have fared okay so far this season with buckets around the basket. For those of you who weren't fans last year, the baby stat is buckets around the basket index. The stat that I made up is also points in the paint. Uh, It's more fun with baby, though. And they found various ways to win, but they're still working on finding their true identity. But on Thursday night, this can be a way the racers can absolutely dominate. Illinois State. And I think when they do that, they dominate them and they make a statement as we enter the Missouri Valley Conference. I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but we're a top 30 team in the nation in rebounding. Um, It seems like we really struggle, uh, especially with allowing offensive rebounds. But uh, the stats don't lie. And uh, even on Saturday night, we were kind of frustrated that the guys didn't go to the ball. Um, We had uh, rebounding opportunities. But there we are. On the flip side of that, the Cardinals are really, really bad. Um, for the season, they're being outscored in the paint by eight nightly. But against quality competition, they're being outscored by 14 points a game. And that's a lot when you're only scoring 61 points a game. you got to take it where you can get it. Um, and additionally, for the season, they're also being out-rebounded by eight on a nightly basis in 12 against quality competition on second chance points. Now a lot of these were the same. They're still getting buckets in the ba- around the basket, but second chance points are backbreakers. Think about the second chance points points we gave up against UMass and against UT Chattanooga. They were backbreakers and really hurt us in a lot of ways coming down the stretch and in, in the nation they have I, I don't know if there's a true stat for tracking some of that on a, on a, on a national level, but they have to be one of the worst in the country. On their last night out against Rhode Island, like I mentioned, Rhode Island only had one D1 win before they played Illinois State. They got outscored thirty to eight and lost a second chance points battle twenty eight to eight. And that was a and that was the story of the game because uh, Rhode Island beat them fifty seven to forty four. Um, so they essentially dominated them and almost scored as many points in the paint as they did as a whole. And you don't see that in D1 versus D1 games. And I think that that's. A huge opportunity for us, Logan, like you mentioned, uh, for our bigs to really get involved. And, and b- back for our guards to get back inside and, and trying to, p- to penetrate and, and get points um, around the basket themselves. Uh, we've got guys that can really finish. I think that Jacoby has really flashed some awesome layup packages and can can finish around the basket. Same for same for Rob. Uh, when the game got tied against UT Chattanooga, he was able to finish over some bigger guys around the basket. So we're going to need that um, on Thursday. I think this is a, a tremendous chance that, that the racers can Knocked him off. Logan, I'm, I agree with you about the 15 to 20, 15 to 18 point win. I'm looking. I was looking at that Rhode Island box score the last Illinois State game, and it was one of the strangest box scores I've ever seen. Only one starter for Rhode Island scored, just one, and they got out rebounded by 20 points, everybody by 20 rebounds. How crazy is that? One starter scored, and they got out rebounded by 20 and lost by 13. Um, I don't know if there's a line that's going to be big enough for you to not take the Racers.
2: So, hold on. Just so I'm right, you're saying Illinois State only had one starter that scored. No, I'm sorry. Rhode Island only had one
0: starter that scored. And they still went on to beat them by 13. Uh, And they rebounded Illinois State by 20. Um, Wow. Really bizarre. Yeah, really bizarre. And their starters played – two of them had over 33 minutes. So, um, really just kind of showcases that I don't know if they weren't prepared or if it was the last game of their MTE or what, but um, really – Really shows that if the racers can come out on, on Thursday night and really put the pedal to the metal, they should have they should have no problem with Illinois State.
1: Hey, Logan, I know you're formulating your uh, your prediction on the spread here, but uh, it's other than their exhibition, they have not scored 70 points in a game so far. <laughs> They've lost four in a row, and like you said, Sawyer, that would have been their third day, third game in three days against Rhode Island. So maybe that had something to do with it, but. They're having to sit here and stew for over a week. That was last Wednesday. They'll play us on Thursday. Obviously, they're having to sit there and stew over scoring 44 points in a Division One basketball game. So, I'm not one to get big predictions, but you know what? I'm feeling pretty good about the Racers, even after Saturday night. Um, I'm saying we may not win by 20, but I say we're up by 20 at some point. The Racer band is rolling with their up by 20 chant. This is just a situation where the guys who have, I mean, all of them have not been around the program with a big crowd in the building. This is when you decide: Are you going to be a Murray State basketball team? And this is the game where you come out, first ever Missouri Valley game, go one and zero, make a statement. This is your statement that you're in the Valley. Um, Give me, like I said, I think we're up by 20, but from a line standpoint. Give me racers minus nine and a half at the opening line.
2: I really like that, Austin. I was teetering back and forth between uh, racers favored by eight, eight and a half, and possibly ten. So we're we're in alignment here. Um, I was trying to get a gauge on how they've been capped so far this year. And it's so weird. Like last game, they were favored by four points over Rhode Island and end up losing by double digits. Um, I, let's see. They were favored by eight in their first game against Western Illinois at home and ended up losing by three. It's just so hard to hard to gauge. Um, I think you know vegas we we've, we've mentioned before that they usually respect the racers, but I think they're well aware that with the turnover we have, we're not Murray State just yet um so I don't want to go ten because that's I feel like that's too close to you um but I will say racers are favored by eight and a half
0: I've learned the the foster method of trying to trying to do the capping, so I'm trying to use your your methods as well so I went back and looked at some of the previous lines as like you. Mentioned and I went back and looked at the Western Kentucky line because I feel like we're fairly comparable with them this year. They've been up and down like we have, and they were uh, the the toppers were favored by nine and a half in that one, which I liked a lot. That was that might have been what I was gonna say, Um, Austin as well. But I think a lot of us here would would really pick the Racers in that spot. So I think I'll go with the Racers by twelve and a half. Um, Maybe go a little bit higher than you guys, just because I think maybe. Um, the way that Illinois state is trending um, is is downward. and maybe you could argue the same for us, but coming back home, there's a lot of great things going on to 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 prove that we could we could really handle business here. and And even at that, I think I might take it. Uh, you know you, you can't spell Illinois State without two l's, um, but I think this one will be the first one the racers give them um, this Thursday night.
1: I like it, guys, and and really looking forward to that. Uh, first ever Missouri Valley game, I think that's gonna be awesome. and hopefully we can pack the bank for that. Uh, before we move off of Illinois State, and maybe this isn't good for the podcast because we know Nico listens and, and appreciates us, but Logan, I gotta bring something up to you. Um December tenth, Illinois State plays SIU Edwardsville, so interstate rivalry. Oh, um Ele- Ele- Illinois- that game? Well, you might like it because they've got something going on here. So they play at Doug Collins Court at Redbird Arena. But on December tenth, they will be playing at Horton Field House, which housed or which uh, played home to the Redbirds from 1963 to 1988, um, and they're also welcoming back Doug Collins and uh, you know presenting him at halftime of the game. So essentially, they have taken your idea.
2: That's a good idea. They're
1: doing it. I, I think it's a great idea. So uh, I think it's it's pretty cool they're doing that, and I had to mention that. So. For um, sure. Our friends at the athletic department don't kill us for bringing that up, but uh, we have to uh, give give props to Illinois State where it's where it's due. Okay, so we we host Illinois State on Thursday night at eight o'clock, and then the guy shoot at seven o'clock. Sorry, I don't want to make you guys an hour late for the game at seven o'clock. That's also on ESPN Plus. If you can't make it, they're giving away T-shirts for the first five thousand folks that are there. Um, but we're gonna win that game. And then throw your curveball, like Sawyer said. And we are at Valparaiso Sunday. That is Sunday, December fourth, at 1 p.m. So go to church, go grab your lunch, and then be home by one o'clock to watch the Racers on ESPN Plus. It's showing here that it's the Valley on ESPN, but I believe that still means it's on ESPN Plus. Maybe just the Valley announcers. It's not the the hometown. Announcers like you get or whatnot, but as we as we spoke with Illinois State, uh, Valparaiso also a losing record so far this year. They are three and four. Um, they are around. Uh, they're also in the low two two hundreds. They're two sixty four. On the Ken Palm. Like we said, we are 114. And like I promised you, here's the Wikipedia uh, from Valparaiso. The Valparaiso Beacons men basketball team represents Valparaiso University in Valparaiso, Indiana. The basketball team competes in the Missouri Valley Conference, uh, having joined the league in 2017 after 10 seasons in the Horizon League. Uh, the Beacons play in the Athletics Recreation Center, which has a nominal capacity of 5,000. 432 so they got really creative with the name there right um the record capacity was 5444 was reached in march of 2016 in the nit quarterfinal uh, the team last played in the division one men's basketball tournament in 2015 so pre-missouri valley days uh, formerly named the crusaders the university dropped that name and associated mascot and logos in 2021 because of the quote negative connotation and violence associated with the crusader imagery end quote and because of its use by certain hate groups on august tenth, 2021 the school announced that its sports teams would be known as the beacons so that's your little uh summary on valparaiso so we get to know them a little bit um their head coach is matt lodich in his fourth season uh like we said they and may be a little rivalry uh, between Murray State and Valpo as they were the team picked over the Racers in that 2017 uh, Missouri Valley after Creighton? Creighton left. Am I right? Or no, Wichita State. After Wichita State bolted. Uh, sorry. Um, but the Racers are 1-3 all-time against valpo so not a great record that last game of played against them was in that 2014 music city invitational at the dump i mean the municipal auditorium um so not a a great showing there And i'd already mentioned that once in this podcast is that was our last real big drubbing i thought in the non-conference by a similarly um level of a team but anyways uh Valpo, like we said, 264 in the Kim Palm. They've had a tough go of it as well to start the year. Um, one opponent that the Racers have all, also faced, they took an 85 to 70 loss at Toledo, um, and obviously the Racers, uh, one of their better performances of the year when we played
0: Toledo. So um,
1: this podcast will come out Thursday morning. They have Belmont
0: on. Did I miss that game? You you thinking about Tulsa? We didn't play Toledo it's yet.
1: False. Woo. All right, I man, leave, it I was in. On, just leave it in leave. It yeah, in. we're leaving it in. I was feeling good about myself there <laughs> All right. Well, never mind. Hey, they did beat Toledo 85 to 70 even though the racers did not play them But anyways, man, i'm gonna look really silly there Um, this this podcast will come out probably thursday morning. They play at belmont uh,
2: Don't thursday worry guys. Night. We're just really big racer fans <laughs> It's been a long season. We've played six whole games thus far. I know it can be easy to forget who we've played. What are we doing?
1: Oh, here I am trying to be prepared. You know, I just need to be more like Logan and just wing it, right? Uh, but, anyways, they play Belmont Thursday night. So we'll be able to check them out a little bit, um, how they fare against the Bruins. But um, Valpo at uh, Valparaiso, Indiana on Sunday will be kind of weird. Uh, but Sawyer, I know you probably got some good scoop on Valpo. One thing before you, uh, before I send it to you, uh, they played two home games this year with an average attendance of 1,500 folks. So on a Sunday afternoon, probably not a lot of people coming out after a long travel day. You got finals starting the next day. Could be a tough spot for the racers from an environment side, but still, we are the more talented team here.
0: Yeah, that's pretty sad. I'm pretty sure whenever you, Logan, and I had our live podcast before the OBC tournament last year, we had more than the, the the amount of fans that go to Valpo home games this season. But the story on Valpo—they have just been up and down all season. Um, really play a contrasting style of basketball to Illinois State. Valpo, in a lot of ways, prefers to score all their points in the paint. Um, they love the baby stat. They love the points in the paint. They're averaging 32 a game in the post. Um, which is where they get almost almost exactly half of their points. Um, but to put it nicely, the Beacons are really bad behind the three-point line. They're ranked 334 in the nation with three-point percentage, uh, not very good. They also pair that with another negative assist to turnover ratio. Um, this team is led by first-team MVC preseason um, award winner Ben Cricky. That's how you say it. He's six foot nine Canadian who can score around the basket. Um, he's responsible for most of those babies numbers. Uh, he's averaging nineteen points and seven rebounds. Uh, a different style of play from from G- from Jake Stevens from UT Chattanooga, but they have a very similar impact. Um, and he he's really he's really known for his ability to score. Maybe not so much on the defensive end, but but he's a guy who can really score it.
1: I was really hoping his name was gonna be Crikey and he was gonna be from Australia, but <laughs> I, I guess. I guess Canada works too, but, yeah, uh, he can really put it in the basket.
0: There are two other guys to know are Kobe King. Um, he was another uh, all-NBC third-team preseason player with Rob Perry. He's averaging 17 points a game. And even though they're shooting for a team really bad from behind the three-point line, he's shooting 39% himself. And then they guy to mention is Quentin Green. He's averaging 13 points a game, and he's also shooting 38% from three. So that's two of their starters that can actually shoot a little bit. They just don't take as many of the threes as you would think. And but and also to to kind of compare that, to add this in is that both of their both of those players are really good scores, but they both have really bad negative assist turnover ratios. Um so outside of those three guys that scored just over fifty points a game, their next leading score averages five. So that's where they're gonna get all their scoring is from those three guys. Logan. I'm interested to see what you have to say before we talk about kind of our keys to victory. Um, The reason why I say that is I try to be a really good researcher when it comes to this stuff and with anything in life. And I could not find any tape on Valparaiso this year. They played in one of those flow hoops tournaments. So I'm not paying 30 bucks to watch their film and, there was nothing on YouTube or anywhere that I could find. There was a few clips from a game where they played South Dakota State that I tried to draw some comparisons from, but uh, I'm interested to see if you had any uh, two minutes of film you were able to break down.
2: Yeah, so we try and be pretty diligent here. I know you guys do your research, but if their fans aren't even paying $5 to get into their games, we're sure as heck not going to pay 30 to watch them play in some Flow Hoops tournament. So I really looking at their box scores and you know who they've played I really don't know what to expect from this Valpo team and what I mean by that is that they have lost games that they should have won but then they've won games that just don't make sense like the last game they played was at an MTE and they were 15 and a half point underdogs and beat James Madison and so he really' was I don't, and one yeah yeah, yeah. so really don't know what to expect out of these guys. I think one thing you can expect is, is
1: they're not going to be great on the defensive end. And in a game where, like I said, you travel to Valpo, it's a Sunday afternoon, which, Hey, the racers have a good track record of playing on Sundays, but there's going to be maybe a thousand people in the gym. So a lot like an MTE scenario. And a lot of those situations, maybe it's hard to get the offense going. Well, They're going to be a team that just invites you to get the offense going. You're going to get open looks. I mean, sorry, you already mentioned it. Um, They're shooting 28% from three, which I guess isn't far off from us. But they're nearly giving up 40% from three. So teams are getting a lot of open looks. Um, They're getting a lot of of looks under the basket as well. They're going to be a very offensive-minded team. So in a situation where, like I said, spirits may be kind of low, you might be coming off a big win Thursday night, a travel, finals on your brain, all that good stuff. They're at least going to invite you to, hey, here's some open shots to get in the flow of the game, at least hopefully.
0: In the film I watched for when they played South Dakota State, I was amazed at how bad their defense was. They were constantly out of position, very, very late to switching and to, to, to covering on the backside, help side. And that should play right into the racers hands. For me, if we want to go ahead and jump into it uh, on the offensive side, I can see I really hope that we can jump out on them and play in transition because even though we haven't really been able to to play that way, especially against the u Chattanooga game, if we can get out in transition transition and play in the open floor, it's going to make a team that's not very good defending uh, in the half court. Really, really bad in the full court. And if we can be that, if we can do that, we're going to be just fine. Because it's like you said, also, this is not a team that's going to be built to be able to come back from a, from a large deficit. And something I wanted to mention is back to the MTE and even into the YouTube Chattanooga game. Of the three MTE games, we played 120 minutes of basketball. You know, 40 minutes a game. I'm pretty sure we had a lead in 115 of those minutes. 115 of 120. And then you throw in the Chattanooga game. We pretty much had to lead that entire game too into the final 10 minutes. So, you know, we're having leads in 95% of our last four games, and we're two and two. Um, I think that's something that we can build on, and, and I would love to see us do that against Illinois State on Thursday night, and like you said, build that into how we play against Valpo on Sunday because of all those things you mentioned. You got finals coming up. Um, you've got you're playing at eleven o'clock, you're traveling you know, halfway up in the United States, you're really out of your comfort zone out of where you're uh, located at. So it's going to be a lot of things going to get you not a great environment. Like you mentioned, what are we going to do? We're going to jump out on them and, and establish establish our, ourselves and hopefully have some of those killers that can come out and bring that business mentality to come out and, 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 and really put it to them early. That way you can really uh, overcome a lot of those uh, negative, negative pieces of the game that we're going to have to experience. Uh, and then from the defensive side of the ball, well, they can't shoot threes. They're really scoring inside. What do you think we should do? I think that it's pretty si- pretty simple. You know, pack it in. Clog the paint. Don't allow any easy buckets in sc- side. Make them uh, beat you from the perimeter. Um, because so far this season, they've proven that they haven't been able to do that. So it really wouldn't surprise me in a lot of these, if if you ever tune to tune into a Valparaiso game later this year, if teams start playing a 2-3 zone against them, just to p- prohibit them from being able to get the ball inside, I don't think that we're going to do that. However, like I mentioned a few episodes ago, and it might have been on the Twitter space as well, that I think this racer team might throw out some new defenses sooner rather than later. Um, So this might be a time to maybe positively experience that against Valparaiso.
1: Sorry, you mentioned the – I guess they're kind of big three earlier. Ben, I'm going to just keep calling them crikey. uh, Crikey, Kobe King, and Quentin Green, they – extremely drop off after that i don't think another guy averages over three points a game and so taking all that into consideration um looking at i mean it's going to depend on thursday obviously what they do against belmont versus what what we can do against uh, illinois state being on the road uh you know they they didn't give us much uh credit against U T Chattanooga. I think we opened what mine at, uh one point underdogs and then that line moved to the racers. Um I think we'll probably be favored. So Logan give me racers by four and a half, five. Now uh, give me five.
2: Okay. If uh we are having a really tough time figuring out this Valpo team, I think Vegas is probably looking at their scores and, and the odds they've given them this year and thinking the same thing. Um, so we mentioned they have a big three, you know, they've got the big whitey. I think if we shut him down, like you said, I I don't think he's as skilled as Jake Stevens. So, and he's definitely not as big, um, six, nine instead of seven foot, which is, it sounds stupid coming from a five foot, nothing guy, but, uh, yeah, he's definitely not as big or as strong as Jake Stevens. Um, so I think he's definitely a little less of a matchup issue. Somebody that Jamari can be physical with and, uh, even DJ, um, DJ plays so, so hard that, um, you know, I, I don't think, he's out of the running for, for matching up against this guy either. So uh, one thing I'm looking at is Jacoby getting back on track. We haven't won a true road game yet. And in the game against St. Louis, he went one for eight and then the game against Chattanooga. uh, I don't have the stat sheet in front of me, but wasn't very good either. Um, He just hasn't showed up on the road like we need him to. And, if we're going somewhere as a team, we have to have a point guard. And so he's too good of a player not to show up. Um, And I think he leads us to our first road victory on Sunday. I think that we will be favored, but I don't think we'll be favored by that much. I'm leaning more towards three, three and a half than, than your five numbered Austin. Sorry, before you you cut in,
1: I think you bring up a really good point about Jacoby. And um, this is a unique situation where it's our first conference road game. And, and a lot of the guys on the team hasn't haven't experienced it, and it's going to be, you know, I guess other than the Drake Northern Iowa trip, our our longest road trip of the year as well. Um, and, and this is something I mentioned to you guys, it, really after the MTE. This was before the Chattanooga game, but it just seemed like Jacoby was a little further along than everybody else, and and even some stuff we were able to see, not on the court, but uh, or at least in a in an actual game situation. It just seems like Jacoby is getting it a lot quicker than maybe some of the other guys on the team, like a uh, uh, Brian Moore. And I honestly think it's because he spent, you know, he's already spent two years in a successful high caliber division one basketball program at Belmont. And we don't like to pump up Belmont too much on this podcast, but there is something to say about the, the situation they have going down there in Nashville. And um, this is a time where Jacoby can take his experience of, Traveling on the road to a Murray State when he's at Belmont. and Granted, it didn't work out too great for him last year by any means. But um, he has experienced what it's like to to play a true conference road game. And like you said, Logan, he struggled a little bit so far. And I know he, out of anybody in Racer Nation, he hates it more than anybody. Because he mm-hmm. uh, more than anybody wanted to probably do really well at Chattanooga, just 30 miles from where he grew up. But this, like you said, is an opportunity for him to really show out, announce his presence. He's going to have opportunities, like we talked about, with open shots, being able to get in the lane, cut him up, make passes, all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, really good opportunity for a player like Jacoby to announce himself in the Missouri Valley Conference.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point about Jacoby kind of getting it. Um, you can tell he just understands the game of basketball. We saw that this summer Uh, brand new to playing with these guys and he's backdooring people Um, just really understands the game. And if you look at our team from last year, you can see that as well. Carter Collins coming from Davidson, you know, he never really developed into the scorer that he was at Davidson, which we had a pretty good supporting cast to take the scoring load off of him. But you could tell he understood the game um, as opposed to, you know, Jordan Skipper Brown just played at Eastern Illinois and it took him a little bit to get into the groove of playing at a real Division I school um, and eventually proved to be very beneficial for us, especially in the tournament, um, having Jordan Skipper Brown. But uh, yeah, definitely a learning curve. And it's not just from the JUCO and Division II levels. It, it is from lower tier Division One schools as well.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to keep the, the the method going for me of just riding the wave with being more positive and, and uh, having more faith in the racers than, than you guys on the predictions. I think the racers will probably be favored by seven or more points in this game because hopefully if we do what we need to do against Illinois State on Thursday and if Belmont does what I think they'll do to Valpo earlier in the week, um, we could be coming in looking really good and they could be Coming in looking not so great, and being on a Sunday afternoon, I think they just, I think they can skew things a little bit, and, and I think that the racers can can really take care of business. I mean, do, does anyone here not feel like we're more than 10 points better than Valpo, no matter the, the location? I think we'd all agree uh, that we're all we're all much better talent-wise than they are, and and quite frankly, I think that they this matchup really plays into our hands uh, in a very favorable manner uh, across the board. So that's why I'm going to go with with seven or seven and a half, uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, than what you guys have mentioned, but I understand where you're coming from, and I think those are totally valid. Austin, I agree 100% with Jacoby kind of being the player of the game. Um, <clears throat> I would go with him or somebody like Quincy, maybe someone who we don't expect to come out and, and a, where he can really uh, can shine, where there's some matchup issues there, I think, that Valpo will have with him. Um, so I think that, that one of those two guys would be would be awesome to have as kind of the, the player of the game for us um, on Sunday afternoon.
1: I like it. I like it. So hopefully uh, next time we talk, we are 2-0 and in the Missouri Valley. Get off on the right foot. I don't see any problem in that. And then just looking forward um, after that Valpo game, like we said, they've got a week of finals. Um, they are at Bellarmine December the 10th on Saturday and then Tuesday night Chicago State. So probably about what we will look at to have a podcast come out, uh, maybe next Thursday to, to cover the last two games and then those two games and then probably try to get another one out before the Friday Austin P game without being a big rivalry on December the 16th. So um, Conference Basketball is here. This is what we've really been looking forward to for many years, uh, playing in the Missouri Valley Conference, and, and here we go. You don't have to wait any longer as Thursday night the Racers take on Illinois State. Logan, we didn't get to do it last week because of the big episode with Nico, so I guess he was Logan's listen to the week last week. But to return it for episode 37 – Uh, Who do you have teed up for us as uh, this week's Logan's Listener of the Week?
2: So I gave this a lot of thought, had a long weekend off from work, uh, was home with friends, family, and uh, got to feeling really thankful, really grateful for the people we have in our lives um, and some really special listeners. And so this is a double Listener of the Week, uh, pretty, pretty special. This may be the first time ever, but... The Logan's listeners of the week this week are Brennan Blakely and Mandy Lawson. I'm thankful for them because they allow you guys to be friends with me uh, when they probably shouldn't. Uh, Great, great ladies and very thankful for them. I'll let you guys take it from here.
1: Shoot, that's a pretty big honor right there um put put us on the spot i did not expect that but we Sawyer and i both are very blessed and you too logan are very blessed with the the women in our lives that allow us to do this crazy thing every week
2: mine doesn't listen to the podcast though which i can't blame her <laughs> neither do i and so i can't give her the honor if uh if she's not a listener so that's why i went with your two lovely wives that's
1: that that's true but she does allow you to record this podcast in the uh in the floor of your bedroom and That's to the wee hours true. of the night. So yeah. uh, I think we, we are all definitely very blessed and, and could not um, ask for anything more uh, because like I said, they, they allow us to do this and, and hang out and do crazy stuff like go to Don souls after the the games on Saturday nights and, and all that good stuff. So uh, yeah, very thankful and, and great choice.
0: Yeah. Congratulations, Brennan and Mandy. Um, They put up with us spending hours each week uh, trying to put this together so that others can enjoy it. Uh, And they they get enjoyment out of it themselves, I guess, a little bit as well. Um, But they should encourage us to keep doing something that's a good thing. And and so for that, uh, we're supremely thankful and we love you very much.
2: That's great. So thanks again to Mandy and Brennan and and congratulations on uh, a pretty prestigious award. Uh, I also want to give one more shout out before we close out this week. If anybody interacts with us on Twitter, uh, you've probably ran into our guy, Big John McKay. He's a huge racer fan. He lives down in Georgia, uh, and his wife bought him tickets to the Chattanooga game. It was his very first racer game, uh, and we were talking to him a little bit throughout the game, and he said he got to meet Kenny and Neal. Um, and that was a, a great experience and being at his first racer game, he just had a great time. So it's really cool. Uh, he interacts with us a lot and we really appreciate John. Um, and so getting to see him and talk to him through his first racer basketball game experience, uh, is pretty cool
1: out Logan. I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, we talk about how, how far this podcast reaches, uh, but how far Racer nation reaches A guy like John who lives down in Georgia, um, to, to be such a big fan of racer basketball. And I'm just really excited. I I hate the racers didn't, I hate the racers weren't able to pull out a win for him, but really excited. He got to, uh, experience the game. Sounds like he had a great time. So as we kind of transition to the end and and wrap up the podcast, a couple other things I wanted to mention. Um, first thing, uh, first things first, a huge day for, for Murray state fans. Um, March Madness tickets went on sale today. I think I saw it was $155 for all the sessions, which when you count how many games that is, uh, if you can make it to St. Louis on, gosh, I don't, Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember what the first day is. Uh, that's really not a bad deal when you break it up into all the sessions. And uh, like, like we already talked about, you're not going to watch UT Martin play SIU Edwardsville at 12 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. You're going to see some pretty pretty quality basketball. So um, I know I'm going to be picking those up pretty soon. Unfortunately, the Blakely Inn and Suites uh, has sold out their accommodations for the Missouri Valley basketball tournament, so please don't reach out to us. The bookings have closed, but um, we want everybody to come up to St. Louis for that. week get to know that that Coach Prom will have the team rocking and rolling by uh, March the 2nd or 3rd. I can't remember what day it starts on. Um but, but talking about the tournament, and looking at the Missouri Valley a whole as a whole, um what we're looking at, Drake, uh, kind of far and away the best team that, that's been uh had their product uh, and they on the floor and, and they have the preseason player of the year and they're you know, of everybody, they are the one team that did not have the massive turnover. I know they've got a, some trend and we're gonna talk a lot more about Drake, obviously, but they are six and oh three um, and0 at homes three and0 at neutral sites as well um, indiana state's really been one of the big surprises this year they are six and one and then you've got uh, uic at five and two they played a pretty weak schedule um, southern illinois four and Belmont, four and three bradley four and three Murray state three and three missouri state three and three i kind of group all of those teams um, us included in kind of that middle pack uh showed some some promise but been pretty inconsistent and then the valpo northern iowa illinois state evansville i think northern iowa might be a little better than the rest of those teams but um evansville illinois state and valpo is really going to bring up the rear but as we start conference uh, the slate what's what's the schedule look like this week really starts on wednesday night and unfortunately this podcast may or may not i might be able to put it out on wednesday since we record monday night so uh we might be able to uh see some of these uh, before. Uh, Drake plays at Indiana State, so we talked about those top two teams in the Valley as far as out-of-conference schedule goes. Uh, plays Wednesday night at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Missouri State's at UIC. Southern Illinois is at Evansville. And Northern Iowa's going to play at Bradley. All those games, those last three games start at 7 p.m., and they're all on ESPN+. Plus. That is Wednesday night, November 30th. Um, Thursday, obviously, you've got Illinois State at Murray State and then Valpo at Belmont. Both of those are 7 p.m. tips. We're on plus. Valpo and Belmont play on ESPNU. Uh, That'll be the first uh, game on the U for the Valley. And then on Saturday, uh, you have a few games. Uh, Indiana State's out of conference, but Evansville plays at Northern Iowa. Um, UIC plays at Drake. Bradley plays at Missouri State. Southern Illinois is actually at St. Louis. I might try to make that game a 3 p.m. tip on Saturday. All of those games are on ESPN+. Plus. And then Sunday, the Racers are at Valpo and Illinois State host Belmont. Uh, both of those are 1 p.m. Uh, tip time. So that's what the schedule looks like for the Missouri Valley this week. I know you know the three of us are big basketball fans, and we'll be flipping around especially on Wednesday night, I'll probably have that Drake game on at six, just to kind of get a good look at them playing Indiana state. That'll probably be one of the better games in all of college basketball on Wednesday night, I would say. Um, but I know the three of us like to just watch, uh, flip around and see games. I, so I know a lot of our podcast listeners are the same way. So.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a huge night at the bank and a uh, really, really exciting night. It's the first night that we're actually in the Missouri Valley conference. This is a night that we've been waiting for, for a long time. So, I know that's like you said, Austin, to start the show. It's a wide out sponsored by CFSB. I think it would be awesome if we put on a really big show, uh, show the rest of the valley what the the Murray State fans have, and I think that's what we're going to see, uh, especially since then we know it's going to be a really really fun fun night and a night that we can showcase what we've got on the court, and also a good night for the fans to showcase what they've got. So, uh, really looking forward to it uh just a prelude to show them what they're gonna see at arch Madness um and it's it's just exciting to, that we're talking about that this is this time of year and that we're gonna be a part of Arch Madness and I cannot wait um until March, but I know we've got a lot of growing and a lot of fun uh, between now and then, so uh just part of that journey um but but Thursday night is the very first step, and I cannot wait
1: that's right, Sawyer, it's time for the guys to 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 show what they're made of and and I know it hasn't been an extensive out of conference season just yet, but There's no excuses when it comes to conference play. It's time to start building towards that championship, and I don't think anybody's expecting a Missouri Valley championship this year, but why not? I mean, this team has shown they've got the talent to do it. So Thursday and Sunday are just the first pieces, and I know all the racer nation is super excited for that. So, Sawyer, send them off.
0: Go Racers. Go Racers. Go Racers.